Hey, my name is Pastor Andy. For those of you I haven't had the chance to meet yet, uh, I uh, would love to meet you after the service. Uh, I used to be on staff with the, the team here at Hope Des Moines, and have since uh, felt God's call to relocate out to our West Des Moines campus, not by choice. God gives us orders sometimes, and we just got to be obedient to that. But uh, it is so good to be back here with you all today, and it is uh, just exciting. I don't know what your week has looked like for you, uh, but for me, this week has been a week of lessons. Uh, and one of the lessons, well, many of the lessons are lessons I've had to learn before, but, you know, lessons like maybe you learned this one this week that every once in a while in the state of Iowa, it can get hot, can't it? And I'm like, why do we live here? I say that in the winter and I say that in the summer. Uh, I also learned the lesson uh, this week. If you don't put sunscreen on your kids, guess what? They get burned. And, uh, you know, and sunburned kids are even crankier than normal kids. So uh, we learned that lesson this week. But there is one lesson in particular that I learned this week uh, that, that has really stuck with me. And, and as somebody who's been trying to live in relationship with Jesus uh, for quite a while now, for somebody who's been uh, trying to intentionally follow Jesus and work, in, in work his grace into my life, I mean, one of the things that I learned this week that I feel like I probably shouldn't have had to learn this week, so maybe it was a great Reminder was it was this. There is nobody else like Jesus. Can I get an amen? There is nobody else like the God of the universe who sent Jesus uh, to be with us. And this is an interesting lesson that God reminds me of every once in a while. Uh, and this week, it happened actually a week ago at one of our worship services out at our West Des Moines campus. I, uh, as, as part of my job out there, there's a, a pastoral team, and so every once in a while there'll be a worship weekend where I don't have any responsibilities with the worship service. And I was really excited about this opportunity in particular. I'm walking into our building, into our 915 worship service, and I don't know if you've ever had these moments in your life, but there are just times in my life where my heart is just full and I'm just excited and all that I want to do, the only thing that seems to make sense for me in this moment is to take the opportunity and just sing songs to God. I mean, I was watching some of you during this worship service as we are just singing uh, our songs today, right? We, there's something about coming to worship God together that's powerful and it's worth coming to be a part of. And I was so looking forward to this this last Sunday morning. Uh, and as we're walking in, I have my four kids with me, uh, uh, Gwyneth, Callan, Violet, and Gabe. And, and my three-year-old in particular, I just said, hey, are you excited to go to Hope Kids? And she goes, no, Dad, I want to go with you. And I'm like, okay, come on, let's go to worship. And I'm thinking, this is going to be great. And I discover my three-year-old. She's not so interested in Hope Kids. What she's interested in is telling me what to do. And so we get down there, and we find our seats, and we're sitting down, and I'm just getting ready for the band. The band's coming on, we're getting ready, and I'm just excited to worship. And she says, oh, Dad, by the way, I'm really thirsty. Can you go and get me a drink? Sure, let's go get a drink. We walk out, we get a drink, we come back. Oh, Dad, I forgot to tell you, I have to go to the bathroom. I'm like, okay, let's go to the bathroom. We come back, and we do that. Oh, Dad, I'm so sorry, I forgot. I need a coloring book to make it to the service. I'm like, you're three. Yes, you need a coloring book to make it to the service. So we get back in, and we get back here, and the band is just wrapping up the worship set. Right? And some of you, maybe that just seems like a silly little thing, but I, I don't know if I was tired. I don't know what it was, but I was frustrated. I was so frustrated, and I was just kind of sad. I'm like, oh, we missed it. And as we're sitting there in the Hope 360 and all these other things going on, my attitude is just kind of awful. And I'm like, ugh, why did I bring my kids to worship? Right? I'm pretty sure Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't get in the way of them, right? I know all of these things. I don't always live them. And so I'm like, all right, fine. I guess I'll just listen to the offering song, you know, whatever. I don't, what's with my attitude? I have no idea. And the song comes on, and it's just one dude 
singing the song, and it's one person playing guitar. I mean, it is the simplest of things. I mean, they just had a whole band, and there was lights and all this stuff, right? And it is the simplest thing I've seen at the West Des Moines campus, musically speaking, in a long time. And this song, you guys, this song comes on. And it's a song, maybe you've heard it before, it's one of my favorites. It's, it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. That, that song starts playing. And there's this moment, this unforgettable moment, I would call it, that just happened. And there's this African-American woman that stands up in the very front row, and she's always got rhythm, and she's, she's got soul. Soul that I do not have, I understand this. And she stands up in the middle of this auditorium of like 2,000 people. And she stands up and she starts swaying and she's raising her hands in worship. And I'm like, oh man, that's awesome. And this song though, it's grabbing me. And I can tell, like I'm starting to get choked up even with my kids crawling all over me and all this stuff going on around me. This song is beginning to get me. It's beginning to hook me in. And all of a sudden I begin to look around the auditorium because we sit in the very back row because we are those people. We don't want to disrupt anybody as a family. And I can look around the room and there's somebody on this side. There's somebody on this side and even people five rows in front of me. And it just became this glorious moment. And I don't know if you've ever had one of these in worship or not, but it became in this moment where the only thing that I could do was sing God's praise. I mean, tell God how thankful I am that even a dirty, rotten sinner like me, he loves enough to save with his grace, right? It was in this moment that I remembered this idea that I have learned over and over and over again in my life. There is nobody, there is nobody like Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? There is nobody like Jesus Christ, and it took this unforgettable moment for me to remember that this week. It's interesting, isn't it, how God shows up in some of our worst moments, in, in our most exhausted and frustrated times. That's when he chooses to reveal his glory. And make no mistake about it, Jesus is glorious. He is. And what happens when we have these unforgettable moments, when God shows up in these moments in our lives, you know what happens? Our hearts are full. Our cups are overflowing. Our buckets are filled to the brim. And what happens is stuff begins to spill out of us. And that stuff is love. We call it worship. It's not just singing songs. It can be acts of service. It can be anything that you can think of as an expression of love. And the church has this long history of these songs erupting in people's hearts. And some of them we've written down, including one in Philippians chapter 2. So as we begin today, and as we're going to dig into our topic for today, I want us to remember there is nobody like Jesus. And as we sing, uh, as we read these words together, I want you to keep that in mind. This is Philippians chapter 2. It's Paul in Philippians quoting one of the ancient hymns of the church. Let's read these words together. Paul writes, God elevated him to the place of highest honor. And gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's coming from Philippians chapter 2. And I want to start there as we're digging into our topic for today. Because we need to remember there is nobody like Jesus. Why is it in this life that there can be these moments where it is so clear and it's so obvious and it's so easy to believe this idea that God is the one who loves us no matter what, who will always be there for us to protect us. And then why is it there's these moments, sometimes even minutes or seconds later, right, where I find this to be the hardest thing in the world to believe. Sometimes I am blown away by my short-term memory and my amnesia when it comes to God's grace, right? We do these amazing things and poof, right? 
we're right back into our worry and into our stress, all of these different things. It's so easy for you and I to, to walk out of a worship service, for example, with a deep sense of peace, only to be slapped in the face again, right, with our fear, with this relationship with fear. And fear is what we're going to be digging into here today as we jump into week two of our sermon series uh, called Songs of Summer. Today we're going to be talking about a song, digging into this topic of this song. It's called No Longer Slaves. And the chorus goes, we're no longer slaves to fear. We're going to talk today just a little bit about your relationship with fear. And believe me, if anybody in this room has the right and the authority to talk about fear, it's this guy. That's another one of the lessons I feel like that I, wor I, I learned this week is when we worry, right? It doesn't add, I mean, Jesus says this, it doesn't add a single day to your life. Why worry? And yet that's something that I struggle with. But I have authority to talk to you guys today in this area because you are talking to a kid in high school who drove for almost a year and a half illegally because he could not see because he was too afraid to get glasses. I know, you're like, really? Yes, really. Freshman year of high school, I could tell things were starting to get a little bit blurry, and uh, I realized, oh, maybe I should get glasses, and I'm like, oh, I just don't want to go to the eye doctor. I don't know what they're going to do there. I don't want people making fun of me, whatever it was. Sophomore year, somehow, I barely passed my vision test to get my driver's license. I'm like, whew, I'm good. But not even six months later, I feel like, I just was like, well, what are those things? Oh, those are trees. That's a big, oh, what does that sign say? Oh, I can't read it. I'll just keep driving, right? This was my thinking. And finally, it comes to my junior year, and I'm in this algebra class, and I was apparently one of the kids that listened and paid attention because I'm sitting in the front row of the class. I got 100% in this quarter. I guess I was really good at math, right? The next quarter, because I was one of the kids that listened and paid attention in the class, I got moved to the very back row. Second quarter, 49%. Why? I couldn't read the board. It's kind of important if you're going to learn math, right? The teacher sat me down. I mean, he called in my parents. He's like, what just happened? And I finally had to come clean. This is the role that fear has played in my life. And I have story after story of things that I have done, ways that I have allowed fear to control my life rather than allowing me to control my relationship with fear. And I see this all over the place. I see this even with my kids around the breakfast table. We get up in the morning. Everybody wants cereal. And not only does everybody want cereal, they want the bowl with the bunny on it at our house. We only have one bowl in our house that bunny has. I don't know what it is with the bowl with the bunny on it, but if you see my kids ask, them, hey, did you get the bunny bowl this morning? I mean, it's like a gold medal for them. They love all of this. But if they don't get it, fear, right? They start shoving each other. They start whining. They start doing whatever they can to get their way. Why? Because they're worried. Because fear has gotten a hold of them. And it's not just in my household either. This week I put it on Facebook and I had about 50 comments in about 30 seconds. What is it that worries you today? No shortage of answers, right? Everything from kids and family and money to am I following God's will with my life? Am I on the right track? Am I using my resources? What is going on in this country? All kinds of fears, right? We all experience these things. And I just, I want to bring all this up today because there is so, there's such an interesting tension, isn't there, in this Christian faith? Because on the one hand, You've got Jesus who comes to us through the scriptures and he says, in this life, you will have trouble, right? You will have trouble, but he says, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And on the other hand, there's Monday morning where I have the hardest time believing that when it comes to things that are most near and dear to my heart. 
I'm sure I'm the only one here this morning who struggles with that, but I experience this incredible tension when it comes to the faith. I'm guessing today that I am not the only one. And when we wrestle with this and we try and figure out how do I change these patterns of worry and faith and trust and all these things, one of the questions we got to ask is, I mean, where does this even come from? And that's the next journey I want to take you on here today. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to grab it. I want you to open it to Genesis. We're going to start at the beginning of the story because this idea, this struggle with worry, this tension in our life, it goes all the way back to the beginning. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 1. It's really easy to find. It's the first page of the Bible. It's where we begin, and I want to just breeze through a little bit of this just to make sure that we're getting the sense, where does this idea of worry even come from? We don't have to pick up in the middle of the story. You can go back to the very beginning to find it. All right, Genesis chapter 1, God creates Adam and Eve, but before that he creates the earth and the sea and the stars and the sky and all of these things, and he says they're good. He creates humanity and says it's very good. In fact, life was very good. Turn to the person next to you, punch him in the arm to wake him up if you need to in the morning and say, hey, life was good. Life was good. How good do I know life was or how do we know that life was good? Turn to Genesis 2 verse 25. This is what it says. Now the man and his wife, they were both naked, but they felt no shame. Now the man and, the woman and his wife were both naked but they felt no shame, right? There was no stress. There was nothing to worry about. There was no pain. I mean, this is the life as God originally created it. They had everything that they needed. Can you imagine a world like that? Where there's nothing that you need to work for. There's nothing you need to strive for. There's no risk. There's no anxiety. This is the world that you and I were born into as humanity. And it lasted for two chapters of these scriptures. And the Bible is a thick book, right? There's just a little bit of time where everything was great, and then chapter 3 hits. Our enemy shows up, and he does what he has been doing for centuries as well, putting this wedge between us and God. And I, what I want you to notice this morning is the ways that our enemy comes to us and just slithers right in there, right? I use that word intentionally because we're talking about the serpent. Chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say that you couldn't eat all that food, that fruit from that tree in the garden? Right? See what he's doing there? He's just throwing a question. Just giving you a question to begin to get you to doubt. And then as it moves along, she responds and says, yeah, and God said if we eat this, this fruit, then we're going to die. Verse 4, he steps up his game. He says, you won't die, right? He moves from questions to just flat-out lies. He's painting a whole different picture of the world. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. And we know how the story ends, right? I mean, the woman is convinced. She takes a bite. She gives it to her husband who's been standing there the whole time. That's a whole other sermon for another day. Just something to note. And what happens? Suddenly, they felt shame at their nakedness. And what do they do? They do what they can to survive. They sew fig leaves together to cover themselves. Why am I reading you this morning? Why am I taking you back to the beginning? Because Adam and Eve 
because of the enemy's work in their life already from our very beginning, and this is the foundation, this is the default setting for you and I in this world, Adam and Eve were led to no longer trust. They were unable to trust two things, God's word and God's work. Everybody say word. God's word, God's promise to you, the fact that you're going to be okay, that you can trust him and God's work. Everybody say work. His ability to come through. The fact that he is enough. And this has major consequences. It's, it's been a part of our story and you can probably even point to it in your own life here today. In fact, I'm going to have you do that in just a second. But what, sets, what this sets off is a chain reaction through the pages of the Old Testament. And Israel, uh, God's people, as they become a chosen nation and as they expand and they get bigger and bigger, they continue to struggle and to wrestle with this idea of believing God's word and God's work. In Exodus 14, it finally comes to a head. I mean, they've been in slavery. They've been in captivity with, for, uh, in the Egyptian, uh, in the country of Egypt. And they don't like that, right? And so they're crying out to God. They're saying, God, come and rescue us. And so what does God do? God does what he always does. He shows up. He rescues them. He liberates them. He sets them free. And they're out on their journey with Moses and they're following. And all of a sudden they run into the Red Sea. And something interesting happens as this takes place. It turns out once uh, the Pharaoh let the Israelites go, he had a change of heart. In fact, God changed his heart because he wanted to display his glory. He, so Pharaoh, because God has changed his heart, he decides to grab his army and go run them down. And here's what I want you to know. Check out their reaction. This is Exodus chapter 14 as you've got a, a, a vast body of water on one side and you've got an army coming at you on the other side. I mean, I probably would have some questions for Moses as well. But listen to what happens as they go through this. This Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and they panicked when they saw the Egyptians. They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, so they're going two directions with their complaints right now, all right? And listen to what they had to say. Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness, right? They go to Moses, weren't there enough graves in Egypt? Did you really have to bring us out here to get us killed? Talk about trust, right? What have they done? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave? Those are bad enough, but the next two sentences they have to say are absolutely crazy. I mean, these people have gone loco. They have no idea what they're saying. Here's what they have to say. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians, they say. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. Are you kidding me? Right? It's absolute chaos. It's madness. They just found out that they have been free. They've been set free and suddenly they find themselves in slavery all over again. But this time it's not Egypt, right? It's fear. The, the Israelites have become slaves to fear. And the same is true for you and I. How is that going for you these days? What does your relationship with fear look like? I put the fruits of the Spirit on uh, the screen. One of the th questions that I often ask myself from time to time or when I'm discipling somebody, right? There are certain things that Paul tells us that are going to show up in our life when the Holy Spirit is at work. Not that we don't have the Holy Spirit in us, but there are times where we just kind of mute the Holy Spirit's voice and its role in our life, I think. And when the Holy Spirit is on and when we are listening and responding to it, we're going to experience these things. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You can read the rest of the list. Right? But then there are days in our lives where we don't listen to the Holy Spirit, where we don't experience these things. And what do we get? We get the opposite of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Here's what I want to do today. I want to give you 30 seconds to turn to your neighbor 
and name at least one situation in your life where you are experiencing the opposite of the fruits of the Spirit. I think this is so important for us today, not just to keep this at an arm's length, but to really name the things that we are worried about, the things that are creating the opposite of the fruits of the Spirit in it. I know I'm sorry for making you talk to people that you may not know. I know you didn't come here to make friends. I'm just kidding. Right? But this is important. If we're going to experience God's grace, then we need to share this. If it can't be revealed, then it can never be healed. You've got one minute. Do not hog the conversation. On your marks, get set, go. All right, let's pull it back together. Hey, can we just give our production guys a hand real quick? I have my hands back. It's great. And production people never get recognized unless something goes terribly wrong and everybody thinks it's their fault. And I didn't check the connection. So uh, we got to give those guys mad props as well. So, all right. Well, here's what I notice when we throw out a question like that, right? It's the same thing as my Facebook poll, right? Nobody has a problem naming something. There's something in our life that produces the opposite of the fruits of the Spirit. That's what it means to be human. And it would be so easy when we talk about this idea of being slaves to fear and our, our wrestle with this tension of living uh, in God's grace, but also realizing that there are things that we worry about. And there's, a, there's room for concern, right? But when I say worry, I mean panic. I mean uh, where it begins to not, your life begins to not make sense because you're doing things that make no sense because you're worried about stuff, right? It'd be so easy to think that the answer is to try harder, but we know that that doesn't work, right? I mean, we can exhaust ourselves, but at the end of the day, I think that's why Jesus came, was to set us free. In fact, you and I, we need to be rescued and we need to be reminded. That's what Jesus' message is to us today, that you and I, we need to be rescued and we need to be reminded. It turns out in Exodus chapter 14, that very same chapter, God himself shows up yet again in the story. Verse 15, yet the Lord said to Moses, right? I mean, everybody has just been crying out to God and Moses. And God turns around and he says, Moses, why are you crying out to me? Right? This should be obvious. Trust me. Go over to that water, he says, and hold up your staff and split it open. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure all of us would have thought of that in the moment, right? But that's what he says. And then he says, uh, the Egyptian army is going to follow you. And guess what? At the end of this day, those Egyptians are going to remember the God that they chose to mess with, right? He's doing this so he can demonstrate his power and his glory. Why? Because you and I, we need to be rescued, but we also need to be reminded. This is a powerful story that has lived on for centuries. Why? Because it's the testimony to how much God loves us and the fact that he's willing to show us, to set us free. This, the rest of the chapter describes the scene, and it's great. The very next chapter in Scripture, though, is exactly what happened to me in the worship center at West Des Moines campus a week ago, right? Something happens in our hearts, and we respond. The next chapter, Exodus chapter 15, is a song of deliverance. When God shows up in our life, people start singing. Maybe it's not a verbal tune, but we start singing with the way that we live our lives, the way we make decisions, the way we use our resources. And so this happens. Moses starts singing his song of deliverance. The Apostle Paul in our Bible reading today starts doing the exact same thing, not just in Galatians, but also in Ephesians. This, through Jesus Christ, you and I have been rescued. We have been set free as well. And what happens? We start singing this melody uh, with our lives. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says this. If you want to know what the gospel is, right, it's in this whole chapter of Ephesians. He says, once you were dead because your disobedience 
and many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world obeying the devil, right? He's the one who's at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God, but by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. Verse four, but, everybody say but. I had a mentor that loved to remind me, but is an acronym. It stands for behold the ultimate truth. Verse four starts with but. You know something good is coming when Paul starts a verse with but. But God, who is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. When he raised Christ Jesus from the dead, this is good news. Verse 8, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. Nobody can boast about God's love and God's grace being our own effort. No, it's his and his alone. Why did God do this? Verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. And why has he done this? Because he's created us anew so we can do the good things that he has planned for us long ago. This is Paul's song that he's singing in Ephesians chapter 2. This is our song as well, if we'll allow it to be our story. And he just keeps on going. I mean, I love how Paul ends this chapter, right? He begins it by saying, you were dead and you were stuck, right? He ends it by saying, you've been saved, but we were at one point dead. And that's what he's saying also in the Bible reading for today, Galatians chapter 4. He says, and that's the way it was, right? That we were dead or we were stuck. And before Christ came, we were like children, we were like slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this word, but when the right time came, there's that word again, but, but when the right time came, God sent his son. He sent him to buy freedom so that he could adopt us as his children. Verse 7 brings it home. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. We talk all the time around here about the gospel right? The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. But what is the good news? I just want to draw it for you one more time because I don't know about you, but I need to hear this over and over and over again. I spend a lot of time preaching the gospel to people in situations like this, but I spend the most time preaching the gospel to myself every single morning. And here's what I need to remind myself, that you and I, we have a father in heaven who loves us. It doesn't matter what your father on earth was like. They can do a great job reminding us of God's love or a horrible job. I understand that. But what my challenge, my encouragement to you is for let scripture, let God's actions remind you of what a father's love is actually like. We have a father who loves us. And in Jesus Christ, as he pours out his love upon us, bestows upon us a new identity. And identity, you've probably heard this before, especially if you've taken the core class around here. We talk about this a lot, right? Identity isn't something you get to pick. It's bestowed upon you, right? In junior high, as much as you wish you'd had different parents, you were stuck with them, right? Because you can't change your parents. You can't change who you actually are. Only God can. And what he does through the adoption, what Paul is celebrating here, the reason that you and I are no longer slaves to fear is because the gospel is about a father and a father's love where he comes and he rescues his sons and daughters. Why? So that we can be filled and we can live this out. And when we are filled, we respond with worship. Worship that brings glory back to him. This is the reason that you and I were created is to be in relationship with God. We are no longer slaves, and we begin to understand this, it changes everything. 
right? When we live this out, it begins to change everything. But man, it is hard to remember Monday through Saturday for me. Something about coming together in worship, it fills me up and reminds me, and then I coast through the next week, and yet over the years, God has been strengthening me, and I know He's been strengthening you as well to continue to believe this more and more and more every day. We'll spend the rest of our lives learning to live like this is true. God uses all kinds of things to remind us of this good news as well. I mean, He uses scriptures, He uses worship services, He uses uh, great Christian relationships, but you know what else God uses? He uses our story. And the story that I think of most now uh, actually comes from when I was a Bible camp counselor way back when. And we, all, a bunch of us college students got in the room. We were all counselors for summer at Riverside Lutheran Bible Camp. And our program director asked us this question. If you ever want to spend 17 dozen hours in a room with a group of people, ask them this question. When, was the, when is the time that you felt most loved? Right? You ever thought about that? It's a really great question. And I went back to probably what seems like the silliest of things. I went all the way back to first, second grade. I can't remember exactly when. But it was some morning that I'd woken up late, and my mom had woken up late, and I managed to miss the bus. My dad is a farmer, so of course he's up at O-Dark 30, and he's already out milking cows and doing all that stuff, right? I mean, he's busy. He's got stuff to do. And he's on his way, and he's doing his job. And I, here I am, and, and my mom says, get in the car. We've got to get to school. We don't want you to be late. And we get there, and we're like, oh, my gosh. Andy, we forgot to feed you breakfast, and I'm starving. And I don't know what it was about it this particular day, but I was so hungry. I just, I'm sitting in my classroom during first period, and I wish that I had eaten breakfast, and I'm beginning to feel pain, and I'm beginning to feel nauseous, and I'm thinking, I need to go tell the teacher that I'm going to get sick. I mean, I could get sick if I don't eat breakfast. And I'm just standing up from my desk, and I'm just walking across the room to go and talk to the teacher, and who do you think shows up in the door? It's my dad. He's covered in grain dust and he's been doing worker farm stuff all morning. And he showed up and he gave me two gifts that morning. One, his presence, right? I mean, the fact that he remembered that I'd had a crazy morning, he'd heard about it somehow and he decided to come. The other gift that he gave me, not one, not two, but three cartons of Anderson Erickson chocolate milk. <laughs> the breakfast of champions, if I may say so, right? It was my favorite breakfast. Okay, we'll give it up. I'm just going to shift gears. Is this one on? All right. Right, so he gives me this incredible gift of the, the breakfast of my dreams, and I, I just, it, it blew me away, and I was incredibly thankful. I think I gave him a hug for like a full minute, and he's like, okay, you can let go of me now. My teacher's like, what is going on? I chugged the milk, and I go sat back down on my desk, and I was the happiest kid in the world. Why? Because my father showed up in my deepest of need. My father loved me enough to bring me exactly what I wanted, but not just what I wanted, what I needed, right? And that's the same way the Heavenly Father loves you and fights for you. That's why you are no longer a slave to fear is because you have a Father in heaven who loves you. You may sit here today and say, whoa, big deal, chocolate milk, right? It's been 30 years. Think about that, 30 years, and I am still telling that story. Why? Because there is nothing like a Father's love. Do you know the Father's love for you? When that love shows up, it fills our hearts. Again, we start to sing. Things begin to change. First John 4 says it really great. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. It's why Jesus in Matthew 6, he says, don't worry about your life, right? The birds of the air, they don't worry about what they're going to eat, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds, right? The flowers 
of the fields. They're beautiful. Even Solomon, this king that had everything, he's not nearly as beautifully dressed as them. If God puts so much work into taking care of these flowers who are here today and gone tomorrow, how much more does the Father of the universe love you? We've experienced these moments of God's love, and if you haven't, I want to encourage you to come up afterwards for prayer. We would love to pray with you to experience this Father's love because it's here and it's available for you. But we need these reminders, don't we? Somebody who realized that as well, Jonathan and Melissa Helzer, they're the people who wrote this song, No Longer Slaves to Fear. In fact, they've devoted their lives to discipling and mentoring people and helping them grow in their faith. They just kept hearing the same thing over and over and over again. People were gripped by fear and anxiety all around them, and so they wrote this song. And it's interesting, even as they were writing the song, they're part of a, a collective known as Bethel Music, which is a big deal, and they decided to use this song in one of their live albums. Uh, and so they decided they're going to have to come out to California and shoot a live video that's going to eventually be seen by millions of people on YouTube and be a part of this whole thing, right? And they're talking about singing this song. Jonathan wrote the song, their husband and wife, and he's so excited to sing it, and as he's writing it, he realizes this bridge, I mean, the part where we just get to sing God's praise, it's, it's too high for me. And so he looks to his wife and he says, will you sing this? when we perform this? Will you sing this and will you worship God through this song? And, and as she's going to tell the story in this clip, I don't think she was fully on board until she finally spent time with God. God showed up. And what happens when God shows up? People begin to sing. As you watch this, be thinking about the content of this song. Think about this story. But think about these moments, these unforgettable moments in your life where God has shown up in all that you can do is sing and thank God that you are a child of God. Let's take a look. Do you think she believes that, that she sings like that? Absolutely, it's who you are. I want you to know that this morning. Everything the scripture says about you is true. You are a child of God, and that literally changes everything about the way that you live your life. It's not a got to, but it's a get to. So what do we do? I mean, if we're caught in this tension between God loves us and yet this world can be a terrifying place, what do we do? I think David, King David has some powerful words in Psalm 62. I mean, as he's literally being hunted to be killed and be dethroned as the king of Israel, he's hiding in a cave and this is what he writes. He writes, I wait quietly before God for my victory comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. Where do you think he got those words, right? He was literally experiencing that God alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress will never be shaken. God wants to be that for you as well. Wait upon him. How does this work? We continue to sing our songs, right? When God shows up, when God fills our hearts, we can't help but sing. We're going to sing here in just a moment, but we get to sing our songs every day in this freedom that Christ has brought us. Why have a party in a parking lot? Because we can. Why welcome artists in here and a band and have a concert? Because we can, because we are free in Christ and the world around us deserves to know how much God loves them as well. So we hope you'll come. We hope you'll bring your entire neighborhood because God's love is too important for this world not to hear about it first and to experience it in its fullness even before that. Will you stand with me as we pray and as we continue by singing this song to God on our own? God, we say thank you. 
Lord, for the gift of your grace, God, for the power of your story, for the fact, God, that we are no longer slaves. God, that we can give our worries to you, God, that you are there even before we get there. God, with your love, with your mercy, God, you tell us that you are enough, and because you are enough, we are enough. God, you don't make junk. God, I pray you'd remind us of it as we sing this song. In God's name we pray.